Prepare yourself to invest a few minutes with the Make Each Click Count podcast to discover new details in how to accelerate your sales and profits while making sure you're getting the absolute most out of your online marketing dollars. Hosted by Andy Spiegel, who's been running paid click campaigns for his clients for 20 plus years. Join us and discover what's working today and start making each click count. Without further ado, here's the acclaimed author of the Make Each Click Count book series, the founder of True Online Presence, the founder of Make Each Click Count University, and the host with the most, Andy Spiegel. Welcome to the Make Each Click Count podcast. This is your host, Andy Spiegel. We're happy to welcome this week's guest to discuss today's topic, which is placing a valuation on your business. Today's guest is the head of marketing at Empire Flippers, the world's leading marketplace for buying and selling established and profitable online businesses. A big welcome to Greg Elfrank. Hi, Greg. Hey, thanks for the warm welcome. Hopefully I'll be able to add some value here for your audience. You know, I think so. We're, we're definitely looking forward to having you on our show today. Now, let's get started with a dream of many entrepreneurs is to start a company with the intention of one day selling it and retiring to a tropical beach somewhere. So <laughs> let, let's start right there. What are the top things potential purchasers care about when buying a business? Sure. And uh, just as a footnote, if you are uh, you know, an e-commerce entrepreneur, you can actually be working from a tropical beach too. I have a lot of friends who do that, the old digital nomad lifestyle, but uh, but yeah, the, the main things people look at when they're buying a business is one, <clears throat> is it a solid business, right? Uh, like, and this depends on the phase of the business, obviously, uh, older businesses tend to be better. Uh, so older businesses tend so to long, get better multiples. So longevity. Yeah. Longevity. Right. So, uh, obviously you can't predict the future. Like the past is never a predictor of the future, but the longer your business has been around, then it has probably survived a lot of storms. Like you know this, and I am sure your audience must know this if they've been in the game uh, for any length of time. You know, internet marketing changes incredibly mm-hmm. rapidly, right? Uh, so if your business has been around for a few years, that's actually a pretty long time for a, a digital business. And you have seen some crazy uh, twists and turns and probably complete pivots that you've had to do in your business and you survived. So that's a really good sign of a solid business as staying power, right? Uh, now, is to, is oh, is yeah, that number is that number like five years is better than one? But does it go exponentially? Twenty years is better than five, or or is good it question. like once you get over five years, you're you're you know value you're more valuable because of longevity? Yeah, good question. So I want to say it's a, an exponential increase to your valuation. I think it's probably it works more in a linear fashion. Um, than exponential, but I will say like most business buyers are, uh, it depends on the size, but, uh, for most like decent sized businesses, say you have a $500,000 valuation e-commerce store or a couple million dollar e-commerce store, uh, you gotta be around for at least probably two to four years before you can really sell that, uh, two years would be on the very low end. Just to make uh, sure so, it's not like a fad or something. Right. Exactly. And, uh, like I, I've had friends who reached out to me who just like, you know, have this amazing growth and their business is probably worth like uh, one and a half million, you know, but the business has only been around for five months. So no one's going to buy that. That's too high. Now, if the business is worth, say, 50K, 
someone might buy that, right? Because uh, you know the risk on that is uh, less. Uh, but uh, buying a seven-figure, five-month-old business is a pretty risky proposition, right? Right. Okay. So longevity. What's what's next? So the next thing is your traffic diversity, uh, which I, I think you understand quite well with uh, in the name of the co- of the podcast, but each click count, right? So. This is uh, this is a double-edged sword for a lot of entrepreneurs because uh, most entrepreneurs they have a single channel of traffic that is like by far their main source of traffic, like whether mm-hmm. it's SEO, Facebook, you know, whatever, right? Uh, but if you can diversify that traffic, that again de-risks uh, that pr- the prof- profile of the business, right? So if you're getting say 50% of your traffic from SEO, forty uh, percent from say uh, Facebook ads and another twenty percent from Google ads or YouTube ads or you know whatever. That's a pretty healthy mix. And, and most businesses we sell don't have that mix. By the way, most businesses we sell are still a single traffic channel. But mm-hmm. uh, and so I say that because you know most entrepreneurs are like, oh crap, what I have to learn this whole complete new way of marketing before I can sell. It's not true. You definitely sell a single channel business, but if you want to sell the highest valuation, diversifying traffic is super important. Well, even if you're not looking to sell your business. I mean, you never want to put all your eggs in one basket. I mean, you don't know. And I'm sure that's why the valuation's there because you don't know if that marketing channel, for some reason, you wake up tomorrow and Facebook suspends you, right? Or the exactly. Google al- yep. the SEO algorithm changes and all of a sudden you get slapped with a Google penalty. Right. And- <laughs> all the people start writing SEO is dead again. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So whether you're looking to sell or not, I mean, you you definitely want to diversify when it comes to your marketing channel. Okay, so we have longevity, different marketing channels are bringing in traffic. What's three? Three is uh, very similar to traffic diversity and it's revenue diversity. So uh, this could be as simple as having more than one product to sell. You know, uh, if you're an e-commerce store owner, and you are selling one product only, then you are at a higher risk in that sense. Like when if this product falls out of fashion, uh, when if uh, someone comes and does it better than you or, you know, markets move on. So as a brand, you want to have multiple different ways you can make money, ideally. Uh, now, when I say this, I don't mean go and launch 500 products. That's the exact opposite of what I mean. Some, some people hear that like, oh, I need to have all these new products to sell to increase my valuation. But uh, really the sweet spot where you're looking at is between like five to eight products tends to be the sweetest spot. Now, if you are a one product only business, the reason why one product is a a bad uh, thing for most business buyers, not all, is because again, let's go back to a million dollar e-commerce store uh, example here. It's only one product. A buyer looking to buy that business is banking 100% of their investment thesis on that single product rather than a brand selling a suite of products all at good margins with good, uh, you know, shares of that revenue, right? Now, mm-hmm. there are buyers who would buy a one product only business, and those tend to be uh, you know, more in the private equity, family office kind of thing, where a million dollars on a one product business isn't actually a huge risk for them because mm-hmm. of their capital. But for most buyers, that's a huge risk. So I always recommend the sweet spot being between three and eight products. And obviously, like as your business gets bigger, you can feel free to add even more uh, as long as it's reasonable, like you don't want to have a hundred thousand dollar e-commerce store with like a hundred different products. That's a bit much, right? And ideally, each of these products should be built into each other, where you're making money with cross-selling, upselling, all that kind of stuff, order bumps, all and all that good stuff. Now, does it matter where you're selling, like on your own website, or if you're just selling on Amazon? Good question. So that that goes kind of in a mix between traffic and revenue diversity. So. 
Uh, most of my friends on Amazon, uh, the vast majority is all Amazon all the time. Uh, some people have successfully diversified with a little bit of uh, stuff into Shopify. Uh, as far as it affecting your valuation, it won't affect your valuation unless it's a reasonable sum. So most Amazon businesses, for example, I see are like, you know, 99% Amazon where their revenue is coming from and 1% Shopify, that's not going to help your valuation. Like if you had 70% Amazon, 30% Shopify, that could help your uh, valuation because you're effectively doing multi-channel selling, which combines traffic diversity and revenue diversity. So is there anything else besides those three? In terms of uh, what, what, like what goes into evaluation? Evaluation, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, branding, that's an important one, which is always a bit of a nebulous thing. I think that is probably the hardest thing to quantify uh, from a business buyer perspective and a seller's perspective, to be honest. Uh, even me as, you know, as working at an M&A firm at, at EF for six years, it's, it's hard for me to always state whether it's a good brand or not. But there are some like hallmarks. If you're on Amazon FBA, it's quite simple because you're you can look at your reviews, right? It's very public what people think of your brand. Right. Uh, if you're if you're looking at a, a Shopify store, for example, or a DDC commerce brand, there are things you can do. Look at uh, you know Reddit. I love using Reddit. So Reddit, see what people are saying about your product on social media. Are people talking highly of you? Are people interacting with your brand even like? If it's not your sales copy, for example, do you share, uh, you know, just a piece of pure content and people are loving it? This is all good signs of a good brand and brand power becomes extremely important as you get higher up in your valuations. Like Amazon FBA, you can skirt by a little bit without that uh, because again, of the reviews being so transparent on Amazon, but with the DDC brand, the bigger your valuation is, the more brand power you really want. So how can you determine how much your company is worth if you wanted to sell? Well, there's a very simple way. <laughs> you can always use our valuation tool, which is an extremely promotional thing for me to say, <laughs> but that uses real sales data. You can give it, give it a look there. Um, I, I always recommend if you want to find like what you are worth is, and you don't like, say you don't want to use us. So you don't want to use the valuation tool or anything like that. There's two things you can do. One, you can use a different broker, ideally a broker that is sold businesses like what you are, and ideally at a similar uh, kind of you know net, monthly net profit. And most of the brokers will show the net profit on the public page of the of the businesses that they're selling, so you can see that if it's comparable to yours. Uh, the other thing you can do is look into your network of people who have sold like kind businesses, so similar businesses to you, and get their feedback as well. Uh, I think it's very important to do at least one of those two things before you go sell sell your business. Because some people they'll uh, look at you know oh my you know my friend he sold a car wash could you help me figure out what my valuation is? But these are radically two different businesses, right? And with right. very different kinds of valuations and different things that go into it. Now, is there um, a simple rule of thumb? I mean, I don't know if this possible, but you know. Uh, uh, years worth of profit times three or, or something that just is, is really ballpark. Sure. So EF, we're a little bit weird because we use monthly multiples, uh, which is exactly the same as what you just said. It's the same as annual EBITDA. It's just uh, on a monthly level. Okay. Uh, but in general, if you're running an e-commerce business uh, that's healthy, uh, you know, giving out respectable uh, net profit every month, Mm -hmm. uh, we look at profit, not revenue. People love talking about revenue, but profit is what matters for buyers. Uh, you, you can probably be looking at between a 38 or a 45 X. Uh, and that's again, monthly per um, month. 
yeah, per wow. Per wow, I had so, no idea it was something. So if you're making 10 grand a month, but let me, let me, I can't, you know, I'm not not smart enough to, to do that in my head, <laughs> but uh so 10 grand a month times 38, you're looking at is that 380,000? Uh, yeah, three hundred eighty thousand, three hundred eighty thousand to four hundred fifty thousand dollars. That would be about right for a quality business. Now, that could go lower depending on what's happening. Uh, there's certain e-commerce models that would get a hit on the multiple, like drop shipping, for example, gets a hit on the multiple because they're much easier businesses to copy. They have a much more shallow moat in that sense, so they're not as defensible. But yeah, if you have a high quality business, like we, like Amazon FBA, for example. It's very common for us to sell those at 45x of monthly EBITDA. Now, the bigger you are, does that multiple go down? I mean, I assume if you're making a hundred thousand a month, you're you're not going to get, or maybe you are. Are you still going to get the 38 to 45 time multiplier? Good question. So, a lot of the bigger multiples, like when you get to uh, that stage, is in the seven figure valuation. So. Once you cross seven figures, especially in e-commerce, you become mm-hmm. a very interesting target to ultra high net worth individuals, other entrepreneurs are bootstrapping their own wealth, as well as aggregators, family offices, private equity. So you have all these uh, confluence of competitors seeking to buy what you have, which is one of the big reasons why I suggest using a broker like us, because we can navigate those waters for you. Obviously, you can do it yourself. It's just more difficult uh, to get all the parties in the same room, so to speak. But once you get above a seven-figure valuation, that's when you see a real significant jump to your multiple. So say a $200,000 uh, Amazon FBA, they might be operating closer on a 35x EBITDA multiple, uh, monthly EBITDA. Uh, versus a million dollar business. Like we sold, I think the highest multiple we sold was 76, 77X uh, monthly EBITDA. And that was for like a four or $5 million FBA business. Four or $5 million a month business or a year? Sorry, that, that, that was the valuation price. So five, oh, okay, like four okay. or $5 million. Yeah, sorry. Okay. <laughs> so um, tell, tell me about Empire Flippers. So you go on there and I see a ton of listings. Now you go on and you can just, I mean, you list your business, you have to, to fill out a form to list your business. How, how does that walk me through the process? Sure. So if you're ready to sell, there, there's, two, there's two ways you can uh, interact with us on that front as a, as a business seller. And that's first get using our valuation tool that I mentioned earlier. That's where a lot of people start just to play with the, with the calculator because that, that uses real sales uh, back data, right? So you get a, a very rough ballpark of what a buyer might buy your business for. Uh, the second way is submitting your business. It's, there's no commitment or anything like that. And what you will find is you go through our vetting process. And so we're a bit different than um, other brokers in that we have an entire department dedicated to just vetting a business, to making sure it's legitimate, uh, that it do- is doing what the seller says it's doing. Because uh, as you might imagine, there's a lot of smokes and mirrors in uh, internet marketing land, right? So mm-hmm. we uh, we try to make sure everything is real legitimate that we put up on the website. But uh, from an e-commerce thing, one thing that's super helpful and sometimes depressing for the e-commerce seller is uh, we will build your profit and loss statement for you. Uh, build it from scratch because we find this is the thing that most e-commerce entrepreneurs are not terribly great at. Uh, and I, I'm in their camp. You know, I'm a creative person, a marketer uh, myself, so I'm not the PL guy either. But our vetting people very much are the PL people, right? Um, so the reason why it might be depressing is because a lot of e-commerce entrepreneurs, especially Amazon FBA, 
they might be thinking they're making a lot of money, but then they look at the PL and they're not making as much as they initially thought because maybe they were doing their books wrong, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they messed up on a SKU or something like that. So that that's one of our big things. Get your books in order. Uh, we look at everything else that we just talked about to, we form a valuation. Now, everything up to this point is completely no commitment whatsoever to us. You can walk away anytime you want. And we uh, give you the final valuation where you think what we think the business would sell for. And we usually give you two valuations. So we give you what is called a typical valuation, which is our typical process and what we think would be the smoothest transaction for you with the best possible valuation. And then we give you what is called an absolute valuation. An absolute is usually further is either above or below the typical range. Usually we're talking about it above because sellers usually want more money for the business. And we will sometimes do that and allow it if we think it's a quality business. But we also tell you, you know, just expect you're probably going to have a lot much longer sell cycle because we're going above what our data suggests, right? Uh, but it's always possible if you have a high quality business. So at this point, that's when you uh, we ask you, you know, are is this good? Like, is this what you want? And they say, yes, we will list you on our marketplace the following Monday. We uh, release the new listings at uh, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time every week. And uh, that's when the sales process really begins, where our sales team comes in and helps negotiate with the buyers and all that good stuff. Uh, and once your business is actually sold, we have another unique thing that is uh, unique to us, at least in the industry, which is we have a team dedicated to migrating that business over to that buyer and making mm-hmm. sure everything uh, happens smoothly. That's something that doesn't really happen with uh, other brokerages, which I understand why, because they're afraid of the liability, as you might imagine, there could be a lot of liability potential with that. But we do it to uh, help our buyers and sellers have a, you know, just a better experience. Because like, if that thing, does, if migration doesn't go well, like everything was for not, because it's like really tedious and annoying, but it's also the most important part, actually handing over the assets so you can get paid. So you list your business for sale. Is it, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of... Is it like an open house where in a hot market where you might get six people interested and have competing office offers or does it just depend on the business? It depends on the business. Um, so for example, Amazon FBA, extremely hot market right now. Uh, there's you know, like five of our buyers have become unicorns in the last uh, year and a half or so who are Amazon FBA aggregators. And, uh, all the aggregators basically shop with us because we have the highest deal flow for FBA. So in that market, yes, like you, you, especially if you're above seven figures, there's tons of people competing. For you might business. be getting you might be getting bids even higher than what you've listed. Oh yeah, we uh, lately, if if it's a high quality FBA business and it's over seven figures, we, we tend to sell above our list price, which is something that usually never happens because we are usually pretty spot on with the valuation. But the they're so hyper competitive. That this is not like why I say you should find a way to make people compete because you will walk away with way more money. Um, we had a, we had a deal that was uh, 1.4 million dollars. It was a it was a private offer. Uh, the guy got a private offer. He came to us he's like, hey, what do you guys think? And we told him we can get you way more money, and so he listed with us, and uh, we sold that same exact business for 2.1 million with 1.8 upfront. So just the upfront amount he received was bigger than a wow. private offer. And that's the power of competition, especially when you use a, a you know a machine like us that has it already set up. Uh, but that's not true for all business models. So I don't want to uh, you know finish answering the question. If people think that everything's a hot market like that, like um, if you if you run a, say a marketing agency and we've sold those before, 
those are incredibly difficult businesses to sell. Yeah, so, so let's in, let's say hypothetically, let's let's say hypothetically, I, I do run a, a marketing agency. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so why why is that difficult to sell? Sure. So there, there's a lot of issues with uh, most marketing agencies. Now, if you're a marketing agency at massive scale, uh, and by massive, I mean you're looking at a valuation between $8 million and $14 million, somewhere around there, you're easier to sell at that, at that scale. But mm-hmm. most agencies, uh, like the owner, it, like the agency is very personality-based or personality-driven, where the owner is doing a lot of the tasks, where they're doing the fulfillment, they're doing the sales, they're doing the customer service, the operations, everything, right? They might have a few people that are key employees to help, but that also leads into the next issue, which is agencies tend to be very asset poor uh, in that if if that key employee leaves to go start their own agency, which is quite common, then the new owner is kind of screwed, right? Because <laughs> like, now they have to do everything because the key employee left. So this is why agencies usually are very difficult to sell. Uh, the other thing is the custom work. So a lot of agencies do scope out custom work and that makes it incredibly difficult, especially for like if a buyer, like say you ran an SEO agency, Andy, right? Uh, a buyer comes in to buy your SEO agency, they might not even have a background in SEO. They're just right, uh, you know, right. business, private equity or whatever. And your key employee leaves, now what do they do? Like what asset did they really buy here? Because most agencies are ironically not very good at building their own brands and marketing themselves. They're usually quite good at marketing their clients, right. but not yeah. good at themselves. Like, yeah, no, that I, makes sense. I, yeah. Now back to back to e-commerce. So I read somewhere sure. that during COVID, it's been a great time to purchase businesses. Is is that true, do you think? And, and what does that mean for sellers? Yes. Uh, so it is. A, this is the best time to purchase businesses I, I've ever seen in my six years at EF, but not because businesses are cheap. In fact, businesses are actually more expensive now than ever. We're in a seller's market, a very hot seller's market. Like you're running a really great business. You, this, you, there's not a better time to sell than right now that I've ever seen in six years. Now, the reason why it's still good for buyers is because more people than ever are selling their businesses, which means while a buyer might not get a fire sale or an incredibly deep discounted deal, there are more high quality businesses than ever before for them to choose from of getting a really good one. And most uh, buyers I know that really go up and like scale what they buy, they don't usually buy a, a buy or sell type of business where like, um, you know, the valuation is way off from what it should be. Usually they're buying premium businesses that they then leverage up with either capital, team, talent, skill, whatever their unique advantage is, right? And they blow it out of the water from there. So this is one of the best times I've seen to buy and one of the best times I've seen to sell. How much bargaining occurs on your platform? Let's say, you know, I'm, I'm looking at your listings right here, but let's say somebody lists a price to make it easy, like a million, million dollars. Sure. Do people come in and say, hey, I'll give you... 600,000 for that. I mean, is it, do they lowball like that or do they come in closer to, to the mark, to the asking price? So yes, people do that. Uh, not so much on our platform though. So one of the things that we have is we have two sales teams. We have a, a sell side and a buy side. So the sell side is usually doing the exit planning with the entrepreneur, stuff like that. Selling them on our process as well as educating them how it works. And once they're on the actual marketplace, that's when they will start interacting with our buy side team. And our buy side team, they have all the relationships with our buyer network. And we have uh, 
a buyer network right now with over $5 billion in verified liquidity waiting to like deploy into a profitable wow. asset. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Huge. Yeah, we only started tracking it last year. I was shocked myself how much we had. <laughs> so we, there's two things we do to help people not get a lowball offer and waste the seller's time and waste our time too, right? Because like no seller in the right mind is going to sell you the business for 40% less, unless like the business, there's something wrong with the business, then maybe, right? Which is okay. Like you can sell up things that are wrong with a business. You can sell a business that has something wrong with it. Buyers buy those too, because there's opportunities if you can fix them, right? But um, what we do is if a buyer comes to our marketplace and registers before they can see any business, so in this example, that million dollar deal, they'd have to prove that they have enough liquidity in their bank account or investments to actually buy that business. Uh, okay. Otherwise, we won't allow them to see any of the intimate details. So that's the first thing we do to qualify a buyer. The second thing, Otherwise, very rare to get a lowball offer unless there's again something wrong with a business uh, or you know you're something just a hard business to sell like an agency for example. Uh, is our buy side will tell the buyer, look, this is not a good enough deal. Like this is not a good enough offer. You're not going to get it. So you don't even give it. To, you don't even give it to the client then. Well, that depends. That depends. We'll we'll still probably give it to the seller, uh, but we'll also give them three other offers, right? That are probably way more competitive, so they'll never move ahead oh, with that. Buyer. Okay, so if you do, you, most of the time, so you get multiple offers. I'd say that's pretty common. Yeah, um, I, I'd say most businesses get between three to four offers. Uh, if you're Amazon FBA, obviously that's going to go up because so many people are looking to buy FBA. Uh, but in general, yeah. So we tell by like like our the way we look at it is like our fiduciary responsibilities to the seller. But buyers are our actual repeat customers. So buyers buy from us over and over again. A seller might sell with us once every two years because it takes time to build up a new business, right? right. Like sellable. So our like we are coaches for both the buyers and the sellers. And our goal is to get it so the buyer wins by getting a good deal and the seller wins because they sold at a good price. And that's what we want, right? So we'll tell the buyer, we'll coach them like, hey, look, this offer is very low. Uh, you need to raise it because there's these other offers that are definitely going to beat this offer. Uh, you're like, if you really want this business, you need to make a better offer, right? So we'll coach you on uh, what the sellers really mm -hmm. want to get out of the deal, right? Uh, and sellers, like, obviously the seller wants the most amount of money, but that's not always going to be the winner. So you can make a lower offer and actually still win the deal. It depends on what the seller wants. Are there any restrictions on what kind of businesses you'll sell? Yes. Uh, so we only sell online businesses. So the vast majority of the business has to be done online. So uh, we wouldn't sell like a uh, beauty salon or a car wash, uh, right? Okay. None of those. Uh, as what about, are there any restrictions on what they're selling online? Yes. Uh, so we don't do any porn or gambling or uh, political stuff. So we- CBD? We, CBD, uh, so we will do that with affiliate sites, but not with e-commerce. So I'm sorry, I interrupt. So no porn, no gambling, no, what are the other restrictions? Uh, political things, uh, CBD with e-commerce, so we don't what, sell what's, any hemp. What's a, what's a political thing? Uh, so we had this one that was a bit weird, and this one had, uh, uh, <laughs> this one was definitely a fad. But it was just like a, a business that was trying to make money off of uh, both political sides in USA. And like their thing was uh, 
like printing the faces of these political candidates on toilet paper. And that was like their whole e-commerce business. So <laughs> there's like multiple reasons why we couldn't sell that business, but that's like an example, a funny one. But um, what about like political t-shirts? Is that, that would be a no? Usually that's okay. No, that's usually okay. Uh, it's usually stuff that is like more built on the, uh, the, in, the rage machine <laughs> kind of mm. stuff. Like we tried to stay away from that. Uh, but like, you know, normal, normal G-rated political, like we sold political news websites, for example, and that, mm -hmm. that's fine. Interesting. Now, do you have a favorite success story of a business acquisition you'd be willing to share? Uh, I have so many. Uh, I, so what's interesting with my position is like, I become friends with a lot of uh, our customers. Like a lot of their first contact with EF is through my marketing and we'll talk over you know, LinkedIn or Facebook or something like that. So I've become friends with a lot of them, but a couple of really cool stories. Uh, one that has always stood out to me over the years was uh, there was this uh, couple, uh, they were high, uh, high up media executives. I forget what exactly they were doing, but it's some media company. And they had a, a, a child who unfortunately had like mental challenges and had to go to a, this special school. Um, the problem with the school was it was an hour in the opposite direction of their commute. So they're basically commuting like two to three hours a day each way. And by the time they get home with their kid, like they have like no time. They're just like wasted and tired, right? Uh, so they buy this business from us. I think it was a, a 450K, $450,000 e-commerce business. And then uh, I followed up with them about a year later. I think it was about a year later. And they had quit their job, they had sold their house, and they uh, now live five minutes from that school walking distance. So wow. they have way more time with their kid. And this was just like one story. Like there's so many stories like uh, uh, that I could talk about. Like one of my really good buddies uh, in the SEO world, he just sold a content site with us. And it was a seven-figure content site. And uh, I told him like, hey, you know, just expect a longer sales cycle. It's a bigger business. So he gets listed on our marketplace on Monday he sends me a message evening in my evening and he's like, dude, you just changed my life. Like, what do you mean? Like, I just got a full cash offer. Like, why did your wow. business been live for less than 24 hours? He, like, he sold that uh, business, all million dollars, all cash up front. Uh, and that changes his life drastically. Right. So that, that's one of the things I, I, I love about this business is uh, the ability to change someone, to transform someone. Now we could transform you in a negative way if things go bust, right? Like that's always a possibility, but um, it, it's just awesome to see so many of those stories. Now, are there any challenges that you struggle with in getting results for businesses that want to sell? Yeah. Uh, so if you're a first time seller, um, the biggest hurdle that I have seen is actually, I, it's actually pretty easy to overcome if you recognize it in yourself. And that's what I call emotional equity. So most entrepreneurs who are first time sellers, their business has a very high place in their heart. Oh, it's, you know, it's yeah, it's, it's their yeah. baby. It's their baby. Right. Yeah. It, like most of their net worth is tied up in it and it probably allowed them to do some amazing things like quit their job, be, stay at home with their family, all sorts of stuff. Right. So entrepreneurs, they have a tendency to way overvalue what their business is worth. Uh, for example, we had a, a Amazon FBA guy. He's worth a uh, 6 million. He's like, I'm no, I'm only going to sell it for 12 million. Like, okay, well, you're never going to sell it. <laughs> like, like, you know, that's like, it's way you're asking for too much for what the business is. And it's because of the emotional equity. Uh, we value our businesses with a much warmer arithmetic than an investor is going to value. So that's something we coach on. We coach entrepreneurs on a lot uh, before they really get in, deep into the vetting process. 
So they understand that, you know, a buyer is looking at the cold hard numbers, not at the awesome stuff the business did for your life. Yeah. Now, one thing I always like to ask my guests is, are there any business books out there that you can attribute to your journey as an entrepreneur? Yeah. So like there, there, this isn't so much a business book. It's more of a personal finance book, but uh, it's called uh, The Richest Man in Babylon. Have you heard of it? I've heard of it. I haven't read that. So it's a great, it's a great read. You can read it almost in a single sitting. Like it's not very long. It's just a parable of this guy in ancient Babylon trying to make money. And uh, he meets his mentor who helps him uh, teach him about how to make money. And there's a really funny story inside of it where uh, the guy starts saving 10% of his income over a period of like a year or two. And now he has enough money to start investing. And the first thing he invests is with a friend to go like overseas to buy these gems from these Venetians. And he tells his mentor he did this. And the mentor's like, oh, do you know any Venetians? And he's like, no. Like, oh, do you know a lot about gems? Like, I don't know anything about gems. Like, what about your friend? Like, no. Like, okay, well, come back to me when you save up money again. <laughs> like the whole business like was completely false because the Venetians just sold them like pretty glass. That it wasn't gems at all. And then later on, he uh, saves up money again and he invests in this uh, chariot maker's business who make, who like, that's his business. He needed a loan basically to scale his business. And he just starts becoming really wealthy because he starts realizing the difference between good and bad investments. Like understand the, like the, the parable of the story is like understand the lay of the land before you commit. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's a, always a very valuable advice in business. So what problems does Empire Flippers solve for their clients and how do you guys stand out from the competition? Sure. So I think um, from a seller side perspective, the big, big problem we solve is most sellers have never sold a business. It's a highlight event, right? They're not doing it every day. If they're prolific, they might be doing it every two years once, right? You know, uh, so there's a lot of moving parts in selling a business, especially a, a bigger e-commerce business. Like we have a, a $30 million uh, e-commerce business listed right now. That's tons of moving parts. Uh, that person built that business from scratch. Uh, so we help you navigate those M&A waters with uh, you know, everything I've been talking about before. Now on the buy perspective, one of the things we help you with is knowing you're buying a legitimate business, which is should be pretty easy to know. Like that should be a standard thing in the industry. But there, like I said, there can be a lot of smoke and mirrors. Uh, so we help you make sure that is a legitimate business. We cut down your due diligence time drastically because of that, right? And we help both sides negotiate, right? Uh, so we're, we're basically there as a coach and a mentor for both sides of the deal to help you. Uh, one, one of the things that makes us really stand out is most brokers, uh, they are uh, very much like a uh, commission salesperson kind of job where they do everything themselves. That's not what we are. So uh, at a traditional broker, you're looking at a guy who's doing all the vetting, he's building the PL, he's doing the marketing, the sales, the migrations, if they do it, which most of them don't, and he's doing it all himself. So if you go sell your business with that brokerage, say two years later, you go sell it again, you might get a different guy and the process is completely different because mm -hmm. that other person does everything differently. And you run into these issues where uh, people think like, oh no, this is better because it gives me a white glove treatment, but it's actually worse. You want an assembly line and that's what EF is. We're an assembly line. We've taken what that one broker did and we split it off into sections where we have an entire department dedicated to vetting, dedicated to sell, sell sellers, sales buyers, dedicated migrations, a whole marketing team dedicated, right? Uh, which leads to way better results uh, in, my, in my view. So that's how we stand out. 
So how does the fee structure work then with you guys? Sure. So we used to have a tier system, uh, but now we have a, uh, a rolling scale. So anything less than a million dollars is still usually right around 15%. As you go up closer to that million dollars, that 15% will slide down. But mm-hmm. if you want to play around with our commission calculator, you can just type in uh, empireflippers.com slash commission or slash calc. Uh, either one of those will work. And you can type in your numbers and you can get a good feel of what kind of commission you're going to be paying. As, as you go up higher, the commission goes lower. Great. Well, how can an interested listener learn more about working with you at Empire Flippers? Sure. Yeah. Uh, you can check out empireflippers.com. Uh, we, my team is blogging all the time. We have a podcast called The Opportunity where my content manager is... Uh, interviewing buyers and sellers, as well as uh, domain experts all the time. So that's a good place to learn. Uh, if you want to connect with me, you can always email me, uh, greg at empireflippers.com, or you can add me on LinkedIn. I'm usually pretty active there. Well, this has been great. Is there anything else you would like to add before we wrap it up today? Uh, no, no uh, I think you did a good job. Uh, if your audience does have any questions, like I said, I'm usually pretty easy to get a hold of and always happy to help whether you use those or not. Well, great. Well, thank you for joining us, Greg. Yeah, my pleasure. Well, for listeners, remember, if you like this episode, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave us an honest review. And if you're looking for more information regarding Empire Flippers or connecting with Greg, you will find the links in the show notes below. In addition, if you're looking for more information on growing your business, check out our all-new podcast resource center available at www.makeeachclickcount.com. We have compiled all the different past guests by show topic and included each of their contact information in case you would like more information on any service I've discussed during previous episodes. Well, that's it for today. Remember to stay safe, keep healthy, and happy marketing. And I will talk to you in the next episode. This has been the Make Each Click Count podcast. Remember, those that want to make more sales and profits online, listen to this podcast. The ones that want to discover how to do it faster, invest in themselves and their business through Make Each Click Count University. Join our private Make Each Click Count Facebook group or send us an email to info at makeeachclickcount.com. We want to know who you are and any questions that you may have regarding online marketing.